Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Brian Murphy, and Andrew Glukov joining us. Uh, Eric Lopez has taken the night off. No doubt he spent way too many uh, early mornings watching uh, the KBO, and he can't really handle it. Unlike you, Brian Murphy, you can handle it. Woo! <laughs> Still hot. I know. You, you know you're. You know you you you've picked out the right uh, mixture of caffeine in order to you know make it happen, right? Well, let's. let's I don't think Eric drinks show. coffee. Does he drink coffee? I don't think so. I don't. No, I don't think he does. But let's kick off the show with the top story, Jeff. Ben Lively got injured in his last KBO start, but thankfully he will make his next rotation turn, which would come, I believe, uh, Saturday. Uh, so our hearts were in our throats there for a minute, but Ben Lively's okay for the Samsung Lions. Fabulous. That does it for our uh, Ben Lively update here on the Black and Gold Banner at Podcast. We've got that out of the way. Um, you can follow us, as always, at uh, UCF underscore Banner at Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banner at, and, of course, Black and Gold Banner at.com. Uh, your home for UCF Sports on uh, SB Nation. Drew, what's going on, man? This is your first time in the uh, in the hot seat. What's up? Oh man, now and hot seat indeed. You know, getting a, a, a late notice. Uh, just doing the quarantine thing. You know, we're we're hopefully getting back to uh, a sense of normalcy here. Uh, but as we know, college sports is anything but normal. Well, <laughs> we're finding that out in a big way today. Uh, we're going to talk about some stories we got on the site, some little uh, news and notes bits here and there, uh, some news on Joe Sheridan, uh, some news on Darren Green, which uh, Murph has been following very closely. If you follow him at Spokes underscore Murphy, you would know about that already. But we are going to start with some, I think this is bigger than it's um, really being played right now. Um, Danny White uh, went through the car wash a little bit today on uh, the radio. He spoke on... Um, Sirius XM's uh, uh, Mad, Dog, uh, uh, Mad Dog Radio, uh, and he also spoke uh, on uh, ESPN 580 earlier today and uh, was asked a couple t- uh, in a couple places, in both of those places, I should say, about uh, what's the situation with UCF and the possibility of playing football in the fall uh, with or without fans. Um and lo and behold, a lot of stuff came for this. This is the bite uh, that we're going to play from uh, from the interview on uh, um, on Sirius XM. And uh, thanks, uh, thanks are due to uh, former New York Giant quarterback Danny Cannell, Brian Murphy, for uh, tweeting this out. Uh, we were able to get a hold of it. Here it is. If you don't have your students on campus, can you play a college football game on your facility? I don't think that's undoable. Where I have bigger concerns financially is if we sprint to the solution of playing games with no fans in the stands. For us, that's about a $30 million problem that I don't have an answer to. And, you know, longer storied, larger stadium programs, it's a much bigger financial problem. So I, I hope that we explore every option to safely have fans in the stands. I know we will. And if, if that's if there's not a path in the fall, I think we should we should also be talking about spring football, if that would allow for us to to realize that game day revenue. And we're, we're a nonprofit; it's not like that money's going to some big coffers. It's going to support a student athlete experience for 435 kids across 16 different teams, and those are critical uh, dollars for our operation. You know, Jim Harbaugh today, the Michigan coach, uh, made a statement on ESPN today. And said that generally, you know, he would be comfortable 
playing and coaching in empty stadiums and that his players feel the same way and that it's better than nothing. When you hear that, what goes through your mind? What will you say what? I'd say why wouldn't we wait till the spring to see if there is an opportunity to have fans in the stands and um, if there's not, then we're still in the same boat and we can play the games without fans in the stands. But I don't know where they're coming up with $100-plus plus million to replace that game day revenue, which I'm sure that's what it is for them with 100,000-seat stadium. You know, For us, it's we're a $70 million budget. About 35 of it comes from football, and about 30 of that is what happens on game day. Uh, so I, I don't have a solution for that. Uh, we're relying on those dollars, uh, and, and a lot of athletic departments across the country are. So, All right, so we heard some news there, which we'll talk about in a second. Here's the soundbite from uh, 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 the Scott Inez show on uh, ESPN 580 earlier today. You hear some similar things, but a little bit different shade. I think a big part of what makes college football special is the pageantry of uh, everything that happens on campus on game day, you know, even the things that happen four or five hours before the game, the tailgating and uh, all the traditions that we do. Uh, so I'd, I'd hate to see us play games w- without those things happening. And so hopefully we're in a position come end of August, early September, where it's safe to do that. Obviously we're going to have to change some of what we do and make sure that it's it's a clean and safe environment. Uh, but if it's not, I, I, I'd hope that we, we look to postpone it before we look to play games without fans. Mm. Um, from, a, from a mission standpoint, it's why we built an on-campus stadium, the student experience, certainly the experience for our student-athletes to play in front of all those fans. There's a lot of things that make it special. But financially, our, our reality is that's about a $30 million problem for us if we play uh, football games and realize our TV revenue. But for us, the, the, the huge chunk is, is the game day revenue. Hmm. All right. Well, Danny White, first of all, unveiling some interesting numbers as far as UCF's budget is concerned. Um Wow, thirty million from football, thirty-five million from from uh, fans. Um, UCF is running, according to him, and that uh, soundbite from SiriusXM, an, an operating budget of about seventy million dollars, which is uh, eight million more than the fiscal year eighteen number that we saw in that USA Today database that used to come out. I don't know if they're still doing that anymore, but um, this sounded. I don't know about you guys. This makes me nervous. This is the first time I've really felt nervous about UCF sports and whether or not this is going to happen. And, uh, you know, in the fall, in whatever capacity, it sounds to me, we were talking before we went on, guys, it sounds to me like White is trying to set up the options of best case scenario, play in the fall with fans, but doesn't look like that's going to happen. So, I'd rather we play in the spring if it means we can play with fans. And if not, we'll just roll the dice with the spring anyway. Um, but I don't know, man. This, this this made me nervous. Am I wrong here, uh, Brian? Or, 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 or does this make you nervous too? No, I think you have to take it with a measure of trepidation here because there's, there's real honesty here. And you can hear that in Danny's voice even. Uh, the way he's saying, like, you know, this is what's going to happen to us if we don't have fans – at our football games, uh, and he's, you know, he, he understands, and he also acknowledges that not just UCF, but many other programs are, are, you know, weighing these same problems just, you know, as well. And he basically says it out front, like, you know, if we can't have fans, uh, then we should, you know, postpone until the spring. He also does mention in, in those, in one of those clips 
that if there's no fans still allowed for football in the spring, that they would still then play games. So that was interesting to me. It seems like, you know, no matter what, we would have football in the spring latest with or without fans. But certainly, one, they want to have fans. Two, they want to have it in the fall. Um, but I, you can sense that maybe Danny White just doesn't see the, the you know, having football, fan, having, you know, a full stadium in the fall as a realistic possibility. So he's already planning for the next best case scenario, which would be having fans available in the spring. The, uh, the fact is, no one knows if either of those things will, ha- will occur. Um, and and I, I'm kind of curious as to, you know, the way he said it, I, I don't know if there is a, a hint of nuance in, in his quote there about fans. Is does, does he mean that it'd only be right to come back once there are no fan restrictions and there's a possibility for a full stadium? Or would he allow or, you know, would he be begrudgingly OK with, um, you know, a, a fifth or a quarter, a share of an open stadium? Um, you know, as opposed to no fans. I, I don't know. There's no, there's, it seems like he's all or nothing. And that's, um, I, I just, I'd love more clarification on that from him if I ever got a chance to talk to him. Yeah. I mean, because the other part, the other half of that is, and I'm sure they're thinking about this, like if we come back with a football season where, you know, you only have like a quarter capacity, right? 45,000, mm-hmm. you're talking, you know, uh, you know, you're, you're talking like about 10,000, 10, 10 to 11,000. Yeah. You know, how do you even enforce that? You know, right. I, I, that that's that's the hard that's the hard part about that because the, we we've talked about this before. You know, these he's also having to deal with the possibility of liability, right? And I know, and fans all the time are like, oh, just make everybody sign a waiver. It is not that simple. Okay, stop saying it is. Just like it's not that. Oh, we'll just have a vaccine in twelve months. Uh uh-uh. uh I don't know. It's not. It is. <laughs> Biomedical science is not that easy. Stop wishing for the magic bullet. It's not coming. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, Drew, the part that I really got nervous about was where he said, if we don't get that, we're going to have a $30 million hole in our budget that, frankly, I don't know how to figure out. Like, Well, the number doesn't surprise me. Uh, the, I've heard here and there that we bank well, – UCF banks three to four million dollars per home football game net. That makes a lot of sense. It could be rounded up a little bit, but you're looking at what seven home games this season? Seven home games times four, it's about twenty-eight million dollars. So you're looking around twenty-eight, thirty is a fair roundup. So I'm that's not an unfair number that you're losing with with gates and concessions and all that other jazz. Uh, then you gotta you know merchandise sales issue, and all, yeah. Well, to even add on that, what about Golden Knight Club donations, booster donations? Is that going to take a hit? Are they going to have to issue refunds there as well because they're no longer getting the product that comes with it? So this this could be uh, including that estimate within there, but I think thirty million is a is a very fair number. Now Ohio State originally said that if they play with no fans, they're looking at a fifty million dollar loss, and, and they came out. Uh, recently and said that they're looking at plans based on what the Miami Dolphins are doing at, at a 20 to 25% capacity, closer to 20. And that would get about 22,000 fans in, in the stands approximately. But even then, if you're looking at 50 million loss on seven home games for Ohio State, 
even 20% capacity isn't going to cut it. There's going to be some massive losses. And UCF does not have the $10-plus million reserve that a school like Ohio State does have. So, yes, if I'm a UCF fan, I would be a little nervous at the prospect of playing without fans because the financial loss will be devastating. The um, the latest look at the NCAA finances from USA Today was back in the 2017-18 school year. Uh, Ohio State that year was third among schools that they were able to find out. Remember, these are all public schools, so they have to make their budgets public. There were no private schools involved, so we don't know what Notre Dame had or Baylor or any of that. But uh, Ohio State was third among the schools they listed with a total revenue of $205 million. back, And that's back in 2017-2018. Obviously probably higher now. I think you're probably, they, I wouldn't be surprised if they were probably up in the 210 to $215 million range right now. $50 million hole in, in Ohio State's budget, you're still looking at, you know, uh, at least $150 million that they can still take care of. That, that, that they can, I'm not saying it's, it's, it's not a big hit for them because it is, but it's nowhere near the 40 to 50% budget hit that UCF would take. I mean, that's mm. the, that's the part that's, I mean, if you're, if you're whacking a half, almost half of your revenue, you're saying goodbye to a bunch of sports. Your, um, you, you know, your, your capital projects are done. And uh, I mean, I don't know what that looks like now. It's makes sense to me why the group of five schools wrote that letter a couple weeks ago to the NCAA requesting uh, basically a waiver on sports requirements for a couple of years because um, if that's if that's the the gun barrel that everyone's staring down and if, and UCF actually seems to be one of the more well off financially you know uh, athletic departments in the group of five like if if it's looking that bad for UCF I mean imagine how bad it looks for FAU imagine how bad it looks for the Mac Mac schools or the Sun Belt. Uh, for half, half the Mountain West, um, that's going to be a major crunch on every sport, on every program. It's like that could get ugly. That could get real ugly in a hurry, Murph. No, absolutely. And, and some of those waivers you mentioned, like the, the waiving of the football minimum attendance requirement, those were pushed through uh, some of those today by the D1 Council. Yeah. I, w- I want to talk about that too because um, they uh, the council actually did vote uh, today Wednesday uh, May twentieth uh, for those of you who are or who are watching at home um, to lift the moratorium on the voluntary workouts for football and basketball players effective June first uh, as a growing number this is from the Associated Press by the way uh, as a growing number of college leaders express confidence that fall sports will be possible in some form despite concerns about the coronavirus pandemic. I think the thing that we were talking about earlier was, yeah, there's kind of like, we're kind of like hitting the, hitting the upswing, but we're really going to know in another two to three weeks after, you know, if all these states start opening up and their economies start opening up, are we going to start seeing an uptick again in infections and the death rate? And then, um, and then on top of that, what do we do? Do we start shutting things down again and saying, no, 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 we did it too early. Uh, and then, if the fall sports come back, what's going to be affected? I mean, obviously, you know, it, it, the, the, it seems like the two sports that are going to that could be affected the most are basketball and football, right? Because basketball's indoors, and we know how COVID nineteen spreads um, 
you know, in close gatherings and indoors. So what two sports have the most close gatherings and are indoors? Basketball, obviously other sports like volleyball too, but basketball and football. I mean, you can get away with it. Golf, you can get away with it in tennis to a certain degree with baseball and softball, you can get away with it. But I don't know, man. This is this is like the this feels like the worst of all scenarios. But uh, as far as the it, it it feels like they're they're now dipping their toe back into trying to get things back to normal, right, Murph? With this council vote, right, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is a big it is a big announcement, and so basically it means that you know up until now there had been a moratorium on on campus activity through May, and this was an examination today to extend it through June. And they basically lifted it and said, you know, you're, you know, if if you work with your state and local governments, you know, you can come back and have voluntary practices on campus in those sports, basketball, men's basketball, women's basketball, football. Um, and so and it only goes through June. Like it, you're, you're these these practice, these voluntary practices could only take place between June 1st, and June 30th. So uh, and, and we'll see what UCF decides to do. You know, now it's up to them as far as picking a date of when they would want to have their athletes come back, uh, you know, to, on campus. And we've seen a couple of schools already. I believe Ohio State said they were aiming for June 8th. I think I just read Wyoming is going to come back uh, for, uh, I think it's football on June on June 1st. LSU we'll said, uh, Ju- LSU, Scott Woodward, sorry to interrupt, Mark, but LS, uh, Scott Woodward, yeah. the AD at LSU, said his school is preparing to welcome back its student-athletes after the SEC's closure of athletics facilities to students is slated to end on May 31st. So that was conference-mandated. Louisiana as a state is kind of one of the least restrictive states out there in terms of COVID-19, even though they're being pretty hard hit right now. So, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, absolutely. Again, it depends on state you know, state and local governments. Obviously, in Florida, uh, there's a, there, you know, we're, we're wide open it, it, relatively. I mean, we've still got WWE going on. We've got UFC going on in Jacksonville. Uh, so it would be, it would be, they, they would come back. I think the other issue obviously is then you have to ask about developing a testing protocol because you're going to have athletes around each other and what do those practices look like? And, you know, don't we need to have some sort of testing protocol right now? There's none set up right now. And it's up to both the, the, the schools and political decision makers to, to de- possibly develop and get tests. How would they do that? Uh, do they, you know, how, you know, how much would that cost? Where are those tests coming from? Um, these are all things to be worked out, but I think, you know, the overarching point that everybody points at and smiles toward is the fact that we are going to have, certainly in Florida, at some point uh, in the next couple of weeks through through June, we're going to have football players and possibly basketball players and women's basketball players on campus practicing. Uh, I look forward to bringing that up tomorrow. We have an interview tomorrow with uh, UCF football, UCF football player Trey Nixon. And, um, I, you know, as a player, you know, and from his point of view, I, I'm interested to hear what he has to say about that. But I'm sure most players are just happy because it does it does carry that sense of normalcy and like, we're, hey, we're getting we're going back on campus. Right. It's, it's still it still makes me kind of, you know, wonder about, you know, it, what about with students coming back? Um, I saw a report today out of Syracuse that Syracuse University was was looking at their taking their fall calendar and moving it up. Like they would start the fall semester in August mm-hmm. and then they would end it by Thanksgiving. So kind of kind of playing around. But they're a private university. That's the other thing. I mean, you, whatever decisions UCF has to make, they have to make it in, in concert with the, with, uh, with the board. But 
Um, we are seeing some other indications of it. Now, here, this is the other thing I think was interesting from the Danny White perspective is it feels like he's kind of become a, I don't know if de facto is the right word, but, but more or less a de facto spokesperson for the, for the non-power conference schools here because it was interesting that he came out with these with those sound bites that we mentioned earlier, um, you know, one day, actually the same day uh, that uh, that Gordon Gee, the former president at Ohio State, who's now the president at West Virginia, said, uh, here's his quote um, to Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports. Uh, he said, we he said, we know this uh, quote, if we are going to play football in the fall, which we are, the latest we could open up to our student athletes would be about July 15th. Uh, and he mentioned that there were, uh, here's another quote from him later on. He said, quote, among the Big 12, we have near consensus, both among the athletic directors and the presidents. Uh, we may be tweaking it, but every one of our schools is determined to open. Every one of our schools is determined to play football. Every one of our schools is determined that we'll follow strict protocols in terms of health and safety of our athletes um, and fans. So this sounds like the, the power school, I, I know this is going to sound like I'm throwing my tinfoil hat on, so Murph, I apologize. So, so, so Drew, I'm going to direct this to you. <laughs> um, this sounds like it is ripe for when, you know, when the rubber meets the road, you're going to have the power conferences pushing to play, 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 play. We need the revenue. We got to play. We got to play. And then your group of five and maybe some smaller level P5s, but, you know, the ones that they don't listen to, right? Like, you know, Vandy and Wake Forest um, are, 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 you know, are, are going to be like, no, 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 hold up. We can't go. We're, we're not ready yet. We need the revenue and, uh, and we need full state, you know, we need full stadiums like Danny White was saying. We need full, basically we need a full stadium in order, in order to hit anything close to our budget where, you know, Ohio State, they have hundred and. 5,000 seat stadium, they can fill it with 20, they can fill it with 20, 25,000 and they'll be, you know, not fine, but fine. Right. Um, mm. is this man, is this not setting up for the, uh, just a, 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 a an ugly divorce? I feel like. Well, I, let, let's be honest. Uh, the P5 would love nothing more than to, to break free and be their own without having to walk away from the NCAA. I, I, I think they want to avoid trying to, to do the official break because I think they realized that it's more than just uh, a football game. And, you know, the NCAA does a lot. They facilitate a lot. And with, you know, basketball and those other sports, uh, Power 5 schools need other division one schools when it comes to scheduling and baseball, basketball, you know, you know, all those sports outside of football. So when, when you're, you're basically going to be cutting your, your nose to spite your face. And, and when it comes to Gordon Gee, you have to go way back when, when he was the president of Ohio state and he made a really off putting comment about TCU at the time who was still in the mountain West calling them sisters of the poor regarding to their rise through the BCS <laughs> That's Gordon Gee. You know, he he's good for a soundbite. He really is. But uh, there's definitely a sense of elitism that comes out of him that you almost have to take a little bit with a grain of salt. Uh, it, it comes down to the fact of you know 
schools are going to have to do what what's best for them. Uh, I know on ESPN, they 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 were passing them around talking, and the question now becomes, what if you know an entire coaching staff, uh, you know the offensive coaching staff or defensive coach, what if they become you know sick? What do you do? What if the defensive line newsflash: a lot of those guys are old. <laughs> yeah, well, and especially the coaching staff, but even players. What if what if players all you know get sick in a batch because they work together, they they're you know they they eat together, they they you know go they train together, they, yeah. They train together, they work out. Uh, what if you know one gets sick, gets the other sick? What do you do? Do you put an offensive lineman out at nose tackle? Uh, do you even play the game? That those are questions that haven't been answered, and I believe it was TCU's athletic director uh was was re- you know recording an espn article talking about just that and he's getting these deer in headlight looks from the coaches of wait what <laughs> and, and the truth is yeah this is stuff we have to think about uh, th- this is reality now we, we we have a new reality in front of us where we can't take what we have for granted and we have to be very methodical and i think fans and coaches alike, and you're not seeing as much from administrators who actually have to deal with the dollars and cents of this, but but mostly from fans and then to a lesser extent coaches want to you know do this at all costs, you know just go 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 go. Well, we can't just go go go. We we have to be smart about it, or else we're only going to make it worse. Right. Uh, you know, in the case of coaches, there could be lives on the line. Uh, have you seen some of these coaches? Some of them are not the uh, <laughs> pinnacle of health, and I don't know about you, but I, I wouldn't want to be responsible for for you know one of my coaches getting sick and potentially passing away from something because we we push too hard too fast. Now I want to I want to hit something real quick that that you talked about, Jeff, with the group of five requesting a waiver for the number of men's sports being offered. Uh, I think this is going to come to a head because the NCAA kind of punted on it, but Central Michigan dropped a, a sport. Uh, I believe it was baseball and they're under the minimum now for men's sports. I think they only offer five going into the fall. So something's got to give between division one status and the number of sports that are going to be able to be offered. Cause we're seeing sports getting cut at a alarming pace, you know, tennis, baseball, especially is getting hit hard cross country and track and, and, the, the track and men's right? track and field was the sport that Central Michigan ended. I think it was, oh, was that one. Yeah, there was another one. It was Bowling Green, also in the MAC, canceled their baseball program too. Yeah, and I'm getting mista- uh, mixed up with Furman, who also dropped their baseball program. Yeah. Uh, so I we're we're seeing these sports hit, and these are all D1 schools. So yeah, I, I, you brought it up. Something something's got to give, and right. I think the NCAA is gonna have to, you know agree on letting it slide for a while because this isn't going to get any better. UCF, who's, you know, a good FBS school in the group of five conference is talking about a potential $30 million shortfall. I mean, holy geez. Uh, East Carolina is planning on dropping a sport, if not more. Yeah. That- worse shape than UCF is. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but they don't pull in the money that UCF does. Yeah. So I, uh, I wanted to bring that up too. There was, there was a tweet. I'm sorry, um, Drew, but Steven Igo, who covers, uh, ECU, uh, for, um, two, four, seven hoist the colors. Um, 
He said their interim chancellor says the Athletics Fiscal Sustainability Working Group's report, which sounds ominous itself, um, (laughs) recommends the reduction of sports. Overall feeling is the Pirates need a new strategic plan to compete in the AAC and hold up financially. When you're talking about like, hey, we need to like blow some things up so he can stay at the, you know, (laughs) with the AAC, you know, God bless the American. I love the American, but like that's... That's a bad sign for ECU, and if and I and when I saw that, my feeling was like, "Oh man, this is coming for this is this is not this is not just coming for the Sun Belt and the MAC." Like, this oh is, no, it's yeah. hitting everyone. It, yeah. it's you. You may even see some P fives, you know, making some drastic moves. I mean, Iowa State was the first one to start coach cutting as far as salaries go. Uh, we've seen Boise State furlough coaches. Just to just to get them off the books for a little bit, you know, during those dead periods, I, th- this is going well beyond, you know, the the Colonial Athletic Conference or the MAC yeah. or even you know CUSA because FIU's dropped a sport. This is going up to the AAC, and, and that's your your top end non power conference right there. So n- no one is safe at this point. Yeah. I, I want to note too that ECU. So I did the research on this, and um, uh, to all the all the schools in the American now that UConn's out, and uh, ECU actually sponsors as of right now twenty sports, which they're one of uh, three schools that sponsor twenty sports. Uh, Memphis and Temple are the others. What sets them apart, though, with ECU is that. They uh, the based on the sports that they sponsor, they also give out two hundred fifty two point two scholarships based on the scholarship limits um, for uh, for those for the various sports that they um, sponsor. All of the sports that they have are in the American. You got some schools like the the ones that I'm looking at that are that are really in trouble. I think are ECU based on what we talked about. Temple, which has three sports that fall outside the American, and they give out the most scholarships, 257.5. And then SMU gives out 248.8, with one of them, equestrian, which is an insanely expensive sport and takes up 15 scholarships, um, you know, being being one of the the 19, excuse me, one of the 17 sports that they – Sponsored, by the way, but for comparison's sake, UCF sponsors 233.6 scholarships in 16 different sports, which is the NCAA minimum. Um, the lowest in the in the conference, uh, aside from Wichita State, which doesn't have football, is Tulane with 210.8. Um, USF is 226.2, 19 sports. Cincinnati, 235.7, 19 sports. Houston, 225.817 sports. So um, everyone's kind of clustering around that 220 to 230 range, but those other schools are in that 240 to 250 range. And man, this is going to hit them hard. We talked about, you know, everyone uses Tulsa as a punchline. Tulsa's at 17 sports and 230 scholarships. So, um, sorry, that was a lot of data to throw at everybody, but that kind of gives you an idea of like the, you know, the really hard budgetary choices that that people are going to make. I want to wrap the segment with one thing, Murph, because... Uh, you sent out that article uh, from um, Andrea Adelson and Heather Dinich uh, over at uh, ESPN that yeah. started with that little anecdote about Mackenzie Milton, which I thought was really interesting. 
Yeah, and anybody who is interested in knowing, you know, really overall the difficulties and questions that remain regarding testing in college football with college football players and programs should read this article on ESPN. It's really in-depth. It's a huge, long read. But it does start out by mentioning that Mackenzie Milton uh, went in for a coronavirus test. He, you know, he went to the uh, drive the uh, the uh, drive up uh, uh, UCF facility outside Garage A uh, about a week ago, uh, according to this article, because he had a sore throat initially, and then the next day he started developing a fever. And you know, in this time when you start developing a fever, I understand like he was starting to get scared, and he thought like. You know, oh, my God, you know, before he got the test, he was thinking like, you know, he would hate if, you know, he was getting people sick, uh, you know, while he's on the campus training and he would just feel awful. Uh, fortunately, uh, as the article lays out, he went in, it, it, the test came back uh, negative and he and he, you know, his symptoms went away within the next couple of days. Um, but, I, you know, I guess the news is there is like one uh, McKenzie Milton had a coronavirus test and kind of had a, a, a bit of a scare. Uh, and, and two, it, it, if you read the article through, uh, it just it shows you like how many pitfalls there are when you talk about college football coming back and testing protocols and how to keep everybody in line so that, as Andrew says, no one does something that ends up getting someone else, you know, afflicted and possibly worse. Um, but anyway, yeah, it was just um, a really fantastic piece by by Andrea and Heather. Yeah, and it's. I think the the one quote that stood out for me was from Bob, our, our old friend Bob Bowlesby, the commissioner of Big 12. Um, he said, quote, I think it's unrealistic to think that we won't have positive tests on campus and positive tests in the locker rooms. Somebody somewhere is going to have that occur, and they'll have to deal with it. <laughs> okay? But, How? <laughs> well, yeah. We've already seen that, you know, in the in UFC. Yeah. One of their fighters being tested a positive the night before a big a well, big event. Well, shoot, Rudy Gobert tested positive and shut down the NBA. Well, the whole yeah, so that was that, that, that there was there was no obviously for Rudy uh, there was no care no 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 there was no there was not as much urgency over the coronavirus that was the urgency moment that was the urgency moment now we're a little bit more understanding of what we need to do there are still people being found positive there was you know a handful of people uh, of, of players in the Premier League that tested positive so. I believe that's right. I believe, you know, that the, there is an inevitability that that some player or possibly more than one on a team will test positive for the coronavirus this season. The issue then is how do you contain it to only those one or two players? How do you make sure that it hasn't spread? And, you know, when do you test? If you test a guy on Thursday, let's say you have a Friday game and it's on the road. Do you test a guy on Thursday? And, and if he comes back negative... Well, then he could have picked it up on Friday. Now you're in the dark because the Thursday test came back negative. Mm -hmm. um, and there's just so many things that you've got to worry about. And also, not, not even mentioning, like, do we have enough tests right. to make this happen? And should we? I know people have an issue with this, but there, there's a doctor quoted in the article about, you know, I know people want college football back and we need people that, you know, we need people to get tested. But should we be spending all these testing resources in this moment toward an entertainment product? Right, and I understand people. People flip their flip their lids when they hear that, but it's true. Same thing happened. With, same thing's going through with baseball right now. Like it is, it's a huge business. It creates billions of dollars. Uh, uh, you know, we've talked half this segment about how important football is to UCF's livelihood, but college football, as it is, is is an entertainment business. And when, when this country is still at a testing shortage, 
there is an ethical issue there that is brought up in the article written by uh, Andrea and Heather that, that schools will need to confront and get over. And, and I'm sure I just lost 10 followers. <laughs> well, that's okay. That's okay. You, you still have us. That's all you need. Um, I, I will say this, though. I, I think that this is the time, I think, when the athletes themselves have the most power, right? Mm-hmm. The stu- I, and I say the athletes. I should say the student athletes. Like, this is the time when, you know, they can step up to the plate and say, look, we're the ones whose futures are being bandied about by these old white guys in suits. So, you know, you know, with with bow ties on, you know, so so let us be the one. Let's how about we have a little bit of say in what we decide to do? Um, So are you pressing for a union? I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind seeing a a student athlete association of some kind. Um, That's good. I know. I know. It was Dan Wolken wrote about that this week. Yeah, Uh, that that just seems so difficult. I'm not the biggest fan of Dan Wolken, I, but I, yeah, it does seem like it's extremely difficult to pull up. But there are some organizations that are trying to do it, but um, I think it would have to be on a. I think the way it would work is it would end up being on a school by school um, stat. Like you won't get like a national student athletes union. You'll get like a you'll get like a UCF student athletes union, a USF student athletes union, because those are the ones that will determine policy for each individual. Um, you know, student athlete body, for example. Um, well, don't for, don't forget, Northwestern tried this. Right, it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Well, it didn't work because I think it had it, it, the the atmosphere was so negative, and they actually tried to be certified as a union. And I think, um, and that's where I think they ran into trouble. But that doesn't mean that they can't affect policy one way or the other. Because I got news for you, if you know, if UCF's football team, this is an entirely hypothetical conversation i know but if ucs football team comes up and they're like hey man we do not feel safe playing this game this opening game against whoever if it's north carolina or whatever um and you know and we're going to you know we're not going to play because of i don't know whatever condition you can possibly think of because we just don't know at this point everything's moving so quickly and could you imagine if you know like what's going to happen then like is it, are we are we seriously going to see somebody from UCF come in and say, if you guys don't play, you forfeit all your scholarships? How bad would that look? You know, That's so drastic. <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't rule it out in this day and age with with how everything with, with how everything seems to be moving. But there's that. It's speaking of hypotheticals, Jeff. We should probably go into break. We yeah. So I anyway, to, just to wrap it up, it's just it's it's moving so quickly and it's. And it's going to continue doing that. I mean, our heads are going to be spinning for a while on this, and a lot of, a lot of really tough decisions are going to be made. And man, I just, I, you know, like you guys, I hope that, you know, in UCF's case, um, those decisions are the right ones to be made. And I think that the most important people to consider are are the student athletes. It's not the fans. I'm sorry, guys. You know, love you, but those are the people who need to make the call. And uh, you know, because <laughs> these people are, you know. They're doing this for your entertainment, and uh, and you know, but they're they're student athletes as well. They're it's you know, fans. God love you, but you're not that important. And at least if I if I was a, if I was a student athlete, that's what I'd be saying. Um, all right, stick around. We'll be right back. Speaking of hypotheticals, like Murph was saying, 
I wrote a magnum opus and and Murph edited it. I say, quote, fact, end quote, checked it. Um, what happened 25 years ago? Why didn't UCF join a conference at all? And what could have happened if they did? Um, we'll go down memory lane and we'll explore the uh, alternate universes that may have spurred off from that. Stick around, we'll be right back. All right, welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Brian Murphy, Andrew Glucock joining us here uh, in uh, sitting in for uh, Eric Lopez. Eric's doing fine, don't worry. Um, so I wanted to uh, go back and revisit the uh, the magnum opus that I wrote, er, uh, or uh, Brian and Drew about. Uh, well, I thought about that. I've been this idea has been like swimming around in my brain for like a, a long time now. And I thought, <laughs> it, it, you know, and yesterday and last week was, was what if week, uh, at uh, SB nation. I was like, oh, okay, you know, let's, you know what, I'm going to dive in. And it's, you know, I thought it would be like, you know, a thousand words or something. I end up writing almost 5,000 words on the question. What if UCF joined conference USA in 1995? And went back, did some research on things, and um, kind of like where the where where the butterfly flapped its wings, right? So, um, for those of you that don't know the story, all right. So it, it's it kind of all started in it with an Orlando Sentinel article back in 1994, written by the late Jerry Green, all right. And Sloan had a uh, quote used that Steve Sloan was the UCF um, athletic director. Um, and at the time, and at the time, this was dated July 22nd, 1994. You can still read it on the Sentinel website. I linked to it. Um, and, uh, Green wrote about how they, how the Metro conference, uh, which is about to, which at that time was about to merge with the great Midwest conference. Then again, uh, uh, creating something that the, <laughs> that Green called the, some called quote, something like a super middle-class conference. Which eventually became Conference USA, all right? Um, South Florida uh, at the time, which didn't have football at the time, but did have basketball and that sort of Southern Miss, Tulane, Louisville, VC, they were thinking about VCU, um, UNC Charlotte, um, uh, and a bunch, uh, 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 you know, I mean, you go back and you can see like the, the usual suspects. Anyway, um, at the time, uh, it was thought that. Prime Network, which owned Sunshine Network, uh, which was, you know, covering UCF sports at the time and um, still exists now in terms of Fox Sports Sun, would, you know, maybe they would, you know, kind of elbow the powers that be and they're like, hey, UCF, you know, Metro Conference, Conference USA, maybe, you know, in 1994. And UCF AD Steve Sloan said, quote, one problem is that our football schedules are already pretty full through 1999. At that time, UCF was was moving. They were still D one AA, but they were moving up to D one A. Okay, and they and they were moving up as an independent. And then he went on to say, "quote We are more inclined to be an independent for about five years." End quote. Sloan said. He continues, and then see if we are attractive to the SEC or ACC. This is in July nineteen ninety four. God bless Steve Sloan. He did a lot of good things at UCF when he was there. He was the AD when, when I was a student there before Steve Warsini came in. But that, 
Looking back on it, that was one of the dumbest quotes in the history of the University of Central Florida. Um, I don't know if he was trying to angle for the Big East at the time or what, but it didn't work out. So um, UCF joined as an independent in 96. They would remain independent until 2002 when they finally joined the MAC for football, stayed in the Atlantic Sun for everything else until UCF finally actually did join Conference USA in 2005. So that's where we pick up the story. And I kind of wrote this like, you know, thing about how if UCF joined Conference USA, how would it be different? You know, they would be, and uh, for those of you who are asking, I, I replaced Army with UCF in the in Conference USA in the night. There was a time when Army was in there and then they left, but um, and so I just decided, you know what, the heck with it. Let's just have some fun. You know, Dante Culpepper finishes third in the Heisman, gets drafted by the Miami Dolphins. UCF wins their first bowl game in 1998 um, and their first conference title. Um, you know, Mike Kruzek, his career ends successfully um, at UCF. Ryan Schneider's career ends successfully. Um, the war on I-4 becomes a thing. We still get the on-campus stadium, obviously, but earlier... We get the new arena earlier. UCF solidifies some local commitments. I, then I decided, oh, why not? While we're going here, let's let's bring Steve Spurrier into use in as UCF's head coach, uh, replacing Mike Kruzek in two thousand five. Um, and uh, oh, we need uh, we need a new basketball coach. All right, so you know Kirk Spiraw leaves to take the open job at Iowa in two thousand seven, his alma mater. So let's take on Chris Collins from Duke and. Carolyn Peck uh, coaches the women's team, and we still have a Power Six conferences in 2014, which, you know, and I have it all there in the article. I don't want to list them all out, but it, but it, but it, it, you know, there's there's quite a bunch. There's I always thought that you know, you never know, right? Bert, you know, a butterfly flaps its wings somewhere uh, west of the Sahara, and you know, the hurricane turns out to be, you know, a 12-team Big East that still has a lot of the old powers in it, but with some of the newer powers in it. And the, you know, and the and the, the Big Ten maybe gets Notre Dame somehow. And, uh, uh, you know, maybe, you know, Mizzou and Kansas decide to go to the Big Ten or something like that. Anyway, it was fun. Murph, you, like I said, quote, fact, end quote, checked it. Um, <laughs> and you were like, I, I love your tweet. You're like 90% WTF and like 10%. Ah, oh, this is kind of fun. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I take, go back and take a look. If you could tell Steve Sloan something in 1994, what would you tell him? I'd, I'd, I'd tell him to, to do this. Uh, <laughs> this Shut up and great. join the conference, man. Yeah, Make a call. Look, look what's happening. Like, just take a... Take a, uh, a you know a, a, a twenty five year uh, time machine with me to the future and look what's happened. Right. Um, but I, I I I get a kick out of like the little things in this article. Like like first of all, UCF because they're in the Big East now and they're winning consistently, uh, seemingly dominates local recruiting. So Jeff Driscoll never goes to Florida. He ends up being a quarterback at UCF as the Gatorade National Player of the Year because he went to Haggerty and he goes to UCF. And because Jeff Driscoll goes to UCF, UCF still lands Blake Bortles, but Blake Bortles is a tight end. <laughs> like, sure, sure, Blake Bortles is a tight end. Why not? Um, Tony Michelle is now running back for UCF. Hey, Darius South Florida. The, Darius Washington, the old Memphis star. And is it now at UCF because he's local? I, I thought 
I like that the fact that it was like, you know, UCF, not only they're good and they're winning all these games, like, and, and you got to read it. Like, for those of you who haven't read it, like, boy, oh, boy, is UCF successful. Like, you know, they, they're so successful that – Don't spoil it. Don't really, spoil it. <laughs> no. Jeff is – there's, there's like, some basketball success that we would – like we would sell our, we would cut off our left arm for <laughs> that. Jeff just sort of glosses over because we've had, we, we we're, we're so much better than this. We, 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 you know, Oh, sweet 16. That's nothing. We, you know, we just make sweet 16s like, like the Dickens. It's fine. Um, and I, I just, I like those things, like how we dominate recruiting and how successful we are. Like, again, all of it is just fun. It's the perfect sort of time waster in this moment. And that's a compliment because, uh, that's what we need right now. We need things to take our mind off of things. And I thought, as for 5,000 words, that's going to take you a, a, a solid 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, that was a lot of fun. And, and you, know, you know, yeah, spoiler, UCF does really well. Thank you, Murph. That means a I lot. enjoyed Thank reading you. it, too. <laughs> Tell me about it. All right. Obviously, we know, like, Drew, like, the whole, like, what would, what would you have done differently? I just... Man, looking well, back on it, like, I... I <laughs> I, I, I was really thinking about it. it was really kind of painful kind of writing because like, man, where did we go wrong here? You know what I mean? Where didn't we go wrong? Um, basically, <laughs> my message to Steve Sloan in the Wayback Time Machine is make a decision. Now do the opposite. Right. Uh, I mean, it was just one like bad move after another. It got complete, complete, you know, hubris right there. Uh <laughs> But no, I actually enjoyed reading this. Uh, I always like playing the the what if thing with conference realignment. I mean, the old games of uh, NCAA football, you can mess around with the conferences. So that was fun. Uh, I, I think you jumped the shark a little bit with, you know, every local talent known to man stays home. Listen, I, I was I was really trying. I, I Honest to God, as I was looking at this, I was really trying to see if I could find a way for UCF to land Amari Stoudemire out of Cypress Creek High School. I was really trying to do it. I couldn't, I couldn't make it happen. <laughs> I, uh, but, but in all seriousness. Could Chris uh, Collins have convinced Dwight Howard to play for UCF instead yeah, right. of going to the NBA? <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, completely going off the deep end, but, but no, uh, in all seriousness, it, it's a good, it's a fun read, uh, until you get to the end where it just goes completely off the wall and, and UCF becomes the greatest school known to mankind, Ohio state and Florida bow in reverence towards their greatness. Uh, but it, it made me think for a moment because w- there was one stat and I, and I posted a comment on Facebook about it. There was one move that UCF made. It was a, a bit of a head scratcher at the time. But when you think about this whole Conference USA bit, maybe this would have played a role. A few years prior, UCF had a one-year stint in the Sun Belt Conference when their old conference, the America South, merged. Right. So what if they stayed and the basketball and baseball and all of them don't go into purgatory in the TAC? They stay in the Sun Belt, which actually had, you know, D1 schools instead of, you know, wannabe D1 schools at the time. Uh, would we be in a different situation now? Because that's partly what helped USF when they got their biggest invite is they had Conference USA already uh, very much ingrained and and had their facilities up to par and their programs up to par where UCF really didn't. Mm-hmm. And I know we, I you know. People as, forget as, like as, how old the Sun Dome is, right? Oh, it's like that it's been place has been around time. for a long time. And the, that's part of the reason why they got in. Yeah, exactly. And in fact, the year that UCF 
merged into the Sun Belt was the year that South Florida left to go join the Metro. So I, I even though UCF was always one step behind, I think that would have played a role in, in making it happen because as you know, as you mentioned, Army was a was a charter member through 2004. They were terrible. They hated it, and that's why they basically told the AAC, "Thanks, but no thanks on conference affiliation." I, I just want to take that one little step further uh, on the in the what if time machine on what if UCF stayed in the Sun Belt Conference. Well, let me let me run down for you. Uh... Okay, so the Sun Belt at the time, the one year that UCF was in the Sun Belt, all right, here's who else was in the Sun Belt. New Orleans, all right, uh, South Alabama, Western Kentucky, Arkansas State, Arkansas Little Rock, Lamar, Louisiana Tech, uh, Louisiana, and uh, UTPA, Texas Pan American. Um, Sun Belt football did not actually start until uh, 2000, until the year two, uh, was it 2001? Yeah, 2000, 2001. And when it did start, it had, um, uh, again, uh, yeah, they don't have football there, but uh, uh, Arkansas State, I'm looking at this chart here on Wikipedia, you're going to have to forgive me. Uh, Arkansas State, Louisiana, uh, FIU didn't join for football until a couple years later. Middle Tennessee, New Mexico State, oof, North Texas, Idaho, and Louisiana Monroe. That's a lot of traveling. <laughs> I mean, could you imagine going up to going up to going out to New Mexico State, going out to uh, to Idaho in the Sun Belt in like the early two thousands? That would have been brutal. Now UCF, I think, would have dominated that league possibly because we saw how good. UCF football was in 2000, that sort of 01, 02, 03. Well, 03 things well, kind of fell apart. Let's forget 03 about kind of fell apart, yeah. But that 02 team was really talented and was just kind of it was just kind of out there unlucky. in the ether. They, yeah, exactly. They were they were just unlucky. People forget how that team, it's the first year in the MAC. They missed out on a MAC championship berth by one game, and the game that that game turned out to be their game at Marshall that they lost by five points. And it was a game that UCF had four possessions inside the Marshall 50 in the fourth quarter and came away with zero points out of any of them. So, you know, throw that team in the Sun Belt and see what happens. Now, I think that's interesting because then you could, maybe they could have moved up to, uh, you know, maybe they, do la- maybe they do launch in the Sun Belt in football. Or maybe they move up to, I don't know what that looks like. But I don't know. That's interesting. Drew, do you want to you pound out 5,000 words on that? I got room. Well, the problem is you kind of took most of the thunder on that, and we're only talking about a handful of years. Because I'll be honest, if they stay in the Sun Belt, they probably would have been one of those uh, charter, you know, or, or very close to a Conference USA members. I don't think it would be, you know, going into football, uh, you know, as a member I, of the Sun Belt Conference. I, think I would, would love have... to know. I would love to know from somebody like what um, Brandon Helwig, our friend Brandon Helwig, UCFSports.com, said. Uh, UCF obviously had an uh, open invite to join the Sun Belt. I'm assuming he means in football only because I, I posted this article. He replied to it, but when the Mac, uh, but went with the Mac primarily because of Marshall and what they've been able to do in the late '90s with Randy Moss, Chad Pennington, Brian Leftwich, etc. It seemed like a better short-term solution and not as degrading as aligning oneself with Louisiana Monroe, Arkansas State, etc. But that doesn't answer the question: of 
what if they stayed in it in 1992? You know? So, yeah, not only that, not only that, but from what I understand, it was also because the Mac asked first. And if I recall, I believe UCF made a comment of, we wanted to honor our commitments, which is admirable, but uh, not necessarily the best move when you look at your long-term benefits. I mean, TCU, you know, found a way to back out and not lose all their honor when they left the Big <laughs> East for the Big 12. Uh, I, I think I think UCF dropped the ball here a little bit. They I think they could have ended up uh, in, in, in a better situation if they just kind of took the dive, for lack mm-hmm. of a better term. Well, I mean, I think the, the, the thought at the time was – well, geez, you know, what's this new league even going to look like? Is this the Sun Belt 2.0? You know, I mean, is it the Sun Belt except without except without all of the tradition? <laughs> and uh, you know, obviously that that bore out to be incorrect. You know, I mean, it wasn't like this conference USA had a reputation before because, well, guess what? It was a new, it was a completely new conference. So um, it was interesting. Uh, Brandon also mentioned he said. I'm not sure the, quote, UCF turned down CUSA, end quote, narrative was reality and that there truly was nothing, and that was truly something, and that there was truly something to turn down. Though Sloan obviously did UCF no favors by making the, quote, we're really not that into you comments here. I know it was a popular talking point for Gene McDowell during the late 90s because it was trying to portray the image that UCF was, quote, better than CUSA and poised for inclusion in a BCS league like the Big East. Well... That didn't work out. So, uh, uh, by the way, if um, aside from all that, I guess Andrew, it's true. I'll go with your. What if UCF stayed in the Sun Belt, Murph? What's your biggest no, UCF no. what if ever? The the greatest UCF what if ever? Yes. God, see, this is why Eric probably should be on the show. I'm so much less <laughs> of a historian than Eric. This is what um, this is why I want to ask you because I I think I know what Eric's going to say. I don't know what you're going to say. I don't know what I'm going to say. Right. <laughs> so, so I hate these questions. Uh, I let Drew go first. I'll try to think of uh, think of one. Well, Drew, you're going with the Sun Belt, right? What if they uh, stay well, in the Sun Belt? Or are you going are you going something different? Uh, I, I'm going to go with the uh, what if they opted not to take the MAC invitation for another conference. Skip the Mac. Skip the Mac. And the and Mac. stay independent in 2002? Or? Well, they, they said they had an invite from Conference USA. If I'm, I'd have to double-check that real quick. There's some clarification, double-checking that. Right. Uh, but uh, I do recall them making the comment of receiving a conference invite, but it was after the fact of accepting the Mac. So what if they spurn the Mac for Conference USA going between, going into the 2002 season. Hmm. There is an article here. I just searched it. Uh, Orlando Sentinel, October 16, 2001. It was written by Alan Schmacke. Um. Okay. So this is this is the article that where UCF joined the MAC. Says here, school officials learned in rapid succession that Conference USA had tabled plans for immediate expansion, then, and then that Marshall had recommitted this football program to the Mid-American Conference, clear, clearing the way for UCF to join the MAC for the 2002 season. The move is for football only. UCF has sought. Okay, blah 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 blah. blah. 
Last year, UCF spent $40,000 to market its program to the SEC, ACC, Big East Conference, USA, and MAC. Only the MAC, intrigued by, among other things, UCF's TV contract with Sunshine Network, showed a glimmer of interest. Hmm. Um... So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I would be interested to find out if Conference USA uh, put something on the table. CUSA, it says here at the bottom, CUSA's new contract with ABC guarantees the league a seven-figure payday if it can stage a conference title game. Commissioner Mike Slive of Conference USA at the time said the contract made expansion, quote, a front-burner issue. But in its meeting Monday in Fort Worth, CUSA's board of directors tabled any movement on expansion for football. Until February, by NCAA rules, CUSA would have to add a 12th member to have such a game. The season, this season, the conference has 10 members. South Florida is set to begin play as the 11th member in 2003. Navy has now said it wants a conference home for its football program, and Army is a football-only member of Conference USA. Conference USA. I want to see who joined at that time. I, I want to see. 2000, what is this, 2001, 2002-ish, right? So South Florida. Nug- TCU jo- was the last team to T- join. Well, TCU joined in 01. So that was before that. So they were they running with 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. They ran with 11 teams until 2005. So... How about that? Crazy world, huh? I'm just double-checking my math. 9, 10, 11. Yeah. Jeez. Isn't that something? I I wonder, like, are you right right about that, Drew? Did did UCF... Some UCF historian, Bill Beekman, if you're out there, help me out. Um, Did they have an invite to Conference USA, but but, uh, Sloan was like, you know what? Uh, the Mac called us first. Boy, oh boy, would that would that be a story? Um, Murph, you've had plenty of time to think on it. What's your What's your thought? Yeah, <laughs> uh, it was probably something I should have written last week, but as has sort of been my my uh, uh, my mo lately, I didn't. Uh, it was probably <laughs> what if what if UCF did actually hire Dino Babers and not Scott Frost? Um, because hmm. that obviously you could say like. Well, maybe they still win those games. Yeah, they win those games. Possibly, you don't know. But they also changed their entire approach offensively. Like UCF fast never becomes a thing. Right. Uh, and this whole, you know, the the and people are transferring out of UCF. You look at like Jalen Robinson, who's named Flash, uh, nicknamed Flash, the Oklahoma transfer. He came here because of the style they run, started by Frost, now carried over by Heupel, is attractive to a lot of kids and. Uh, you know, you you can you can quibble on you know well they still have been successful yeah but would they have been that successful would they have been you know that successful to beat a Memphis team in a in a conference championship game that had Daryl Henderson and Anthony Miller uh, and, and Patrick Taylor maybe not and then that's obviously got financial ramifications national ramifications uh, narrative ramifications so yeah it's probably that's probably a big one and people forget they probably forget but. There was a point in November of 2015 where Dino Babers was reported uh, to, you know, was going to be named the UCF head coach. And then that sort of collapsed over the ensuing hours. But it was close. It was certainly close. Yeah. And uh, it would have changed a lot for UCF. If, if nothing else, it would have changed the way UCF fans watch their team play football. 
Okay, I've got another really good what if for you guys that nearly happened. Okay. What if George O'Leary was fired after the death of Eric Plancher and Charlie Strong was hired? Now that that's a good one. That's a really that's a really good one. And because um, it almost happened. I know it almost happened. Because uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and people don't realize how close it it came to happening. Um, man, that is a really good one. Uh, who, know, who, who knows if 2013 even happens, right? I mean, yeah, uh, you know, George, George. Does, does George Teddy Bridgewater George. come to UCF? <laughs> <laughs> there would there there would probably be no uh, no George O'Leary statue standing outside of the, the club area. No. Well, he, he would have been tarred and feathered and run out of town at that point. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I don't know. It's really um, I don't know. It's really interesting. UCF always seems to be right in the middle of these big what ifs. Um, there are, uh, I don't know, maybe this will turn into a what if one day because we got some news that we wanted to go through. And uh, um, Murph, you had kind of the big story, I thought, well, two big stories that, that popped in, um, uh, one on a return and one on a departure. I guess we'll start with the departure. Joe Sheridan is among four UCF baseball players who whose names are in the transfer portal. It's kind of a surprise, I think. To uh, a lot of UCF fans out there, some of the guys, uh, the other three guys are J.J. Gonzalez, Jacob Runnels, and Elijah McCormick, who were all true freshmen who didn't appear in a game uh, last season. But uh, with Joe, it's a bit of a surprise because he's, he's, he's a grad transfer, obviously. Um, so, yeah, he's a, he's, he just he – just, well, he, I shouldn't say he finished his redshirt junior year because no one finished, but – he is a he would he was a redshirt junior, but he graduated. He, he's gonna go. He's going into the going into the uh, uh, portal as a graduate transfer, which is important for this personally. First of all, because today, as expected, the D1 Council did not uh, did not lift uh, did not grant the the one time transfer waiver uh, to, to to athletes of this year. It'll be picked up again in January. We were all worried about, you know, after spring sports were shut down, that, that you know, that uh, this would be visited, that the NCAA would grant a one-time no-penalty waiver to, to athletes, and there'd be like a free agency session over the summer. Um, that doesn't, that's not going to happen for most players. But if you're a grad transfer, obviously, you can still leave and go to your school of your choice and play right away. Um, I, I was told by someone in the program that this was a surprising move. But as I was, and I mentioned this in the article that I wrote on on, on Jeffrey uh, on uh, uh, Joe Sheridan last weekend, he, I talked to him before the season because remember he came back this year for a really long layoff due to a torn left labrum, his throwing shoulder, mm-hmm. uh, where basically he went 20 months between pitching on a UCF mound. And one of the quotes in here I thought was kind of illuminating. And if we're trying to find out like why. You know, Joe was doing this. I, I asked him what that 2018 season was like, and he goes, quote, a big part of it was I was probably hurt for most of the second half of the season. The second week of conference against Memphis was kind of the first time I was throwing the ball, and I was like, oh, boy, I don't know what's really – I don't know, really know what's going on here. I was throwing it, and I just had no idea what my body was doing or where it was going. I was trying to battle, the battle that for the second half of the season. Um, now, UCF did sort of pull him back a little bit during that time, but – he basically pitched up through the end of the regular season. We didn't get word that you know, he was down for the rest of the year until the regular season had ended. Uh, so he pitched quite a few starts 
uh, obviously injured. And I, I wonder if there is some some animosity with that from Joe toward the program that they, you know, that they sort of, you know, either did not diagnose him correctly or did diagnose him and still let him go out there thinking that it wouldn't be that bad. Um, I, I, you know, if we're looking for reasons why Joe Sheridan is leaving, because let's not forget, he's a Oviedo kid who went to Haggerty. He grew up watching UCF baseball. This is really the team of his childhood. And now he's leaving. Uh, there has to be a reason there. And if we're just sort of, you know, picking it, picking it, uh, reasons out of the air, I think that, sort of thing he told me might be a somewhat illuminating in so far as you know, he may be a little upset with how they handled him in 2018. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I wish we could get a hold of him and see what, um, see what the deal is. But I know that, you know, when they're in the transfer portal, obviously it's, it's like, it's basically like an unspoken blackout. Is that right? It's, it's not like, you know, well, the, it's not like yeah, the space between leaving between, you know, your senior year of football and then the draft. Right. No, it's it's not, and he obviously he can now you know talk to any school he wants. He can also come back to UCF. You know, this could just be him as a grad transfer, sort of exploring his options and seeing you know what else is out there. And if he wants to come back, he can come back. Same same with those three freshmen who can come back too. Although I've been told that they're definitely leaving, and that makes sense because they did not play this year. And with all of the the things going on with college baseball, the 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 extra year of eligibility. The high school, the high schoolers coming in, and the the very very um, uh, limited draft, the five round MLB draft, you're going to have a ton of players, a ton of uh, a huge roster crunch all across the nation. If you're a guy who's never played or hasn't played yet, you're not facing even more competition heading into 2021, and you're like, maybe I should go somewhere where I know I'm going to play. And I think for a lot of kids, that's going to end up being the JUCO ranks uh, before they come back to the D1 level. For Joe. Uh, we'll see. I, I would love to reach out to him, uh, but I, I know that that's probably not that possible at this moment. I well, I'm sure whenever this is whenever this is finished, and UCF fans have been through this with with star players recently. We remember Ray Alejo and Dallas Beaver. Yeah, uh, it feels a little sharper because he is a, a UCF fan, and he's a he's a fan he's favorite a, certainly. Sorry, say again. No, I was going to say he's certainly a fan favorite. Yeah, absolutely. So it stings a little bit more, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, I mean, whatever decision Joe decides to make, I know that, you know, we know all, we know him enough to say he's going to make the right decision for him, and that's cool. So, I mean, wherever yeah. he, I mean, I'm sad to see him go personally, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, wherever he, but wherever he feels comfortable closing out his career, you know, he deserves, to, he deserves to do that on his terms. So, um, meanwhile, there was a return, some good news, right, on the basketball okay. side, sort of. <laughs> uh, expected, I think, but Darren Green Jr. is officially back for his sophomore season at UCF. <laughs> Look, man, it's COVID nineteen. We will take as much good news as we can get. <laughs> uh, you know, so Darren you know, declared for the NBA draft. The the testing the waters, quote unquote, to declaring for the draft uh, back in April, um, and uh, you know he was in there for about a month, and then the, the basically the word came down a few days ago that he is coming back for his sophomore year. This is not unexpected. Uh, this was, uh, you know, kind of what we all thought was going to happen was he was going to go sort of get an evaluation on his talent, which wouldn't cost him anything. Uh, it would you get an evaluation on his talents and and go from there. I, 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 so I, I'm I'd love to know what his process was like. I'm, I'm in the effort right now of trying to get him to do an interview as well. I think that a little more easier than getting Joe Sheridan to talk at this moment. 
Um, but I'd love to know what 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 his la- what what Darren's last month was like. Um, but anyway, he's back um, and, and kind of mixing in with with a team that you know returns a lot of young kids. It's a, it's 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 nice to have him back. What we don't know yet is the status of Colin Smith. Now Colin also de- uh, declared for the draft, although he didn't put out a statement. He didn't really want to make a big deal of it. He did declare for the draft, testing the waters. Um, but we don't have word as to where he stands, whether he does plan to turn pro or come back to UCF. I mean, the hunch is he would come back, but you don't know. He does have one year of eligibility remaining. Um, and another thing to know here is that there was a deadline for players to who had declared for the draft, those who had eligibility to come back to college and retain that eligibility. The deadline was June 3rd. Mm-hmm. Well, that's now out the window because last weekend the NCAA basically scrapped it because since the NBA has basically indefinitely postponed its combine and postponed the draft lottery, the NCAA, I guess, didn't seem it was fair to have this deadline for early entry kids. So there is no deadline for early entry kids to come back uh, to school. It's kind of wide open right now. However, I guess going back to something we brought up in the first segment, with teams now being allowed to practice voluntarily on campus together – um, you know, I wonder if that means you have a, a lot of guys coming back in June. Certainly, again, for, for, for schools in Florida, like UCF, they're they're more open than others. So UCF men's basketball, if they wanted to, could have a June practice as a team uh, this month. And maybe that maybe that brings Colin Smith back. I don't know. But uh, but we'll see. It's interesting that he decided not to make a particularly big hullabaloo about it. Um, you know, because UCF rolled out the red carpet for Darren Green. They're like. Yeah, check it out. And then when they brought, you know, all right, Darren, you know, and then then when he came back, like, all right, Darren's back. You know? <laughs> I, think, I think it's just it's just whatever the player wants, right? Respecting his wishes. I think they probably Darren, may, you know, Darren told them, and they may have brought up the the option of like, look, would you like to make an official statement? And he said yes, and that's what we got in April. And then maybe they they did Colin the same favor, and he just said, you know, no. Um, but I do know that that Colin is, you know, is in the uh, is in the draft so far. We just don't know of his status of whether he's coming, or whether he's officially come back, or if he's still uh, looking at his options, getting his getting evaluated, et cetera. Right. All right. So we'll be keeping an eye on that as well, and hopefully that you know, I mean, it would be nice to have obviously both of them back if if and when college basketball season does fire up coming up, you because know, UCF's going to need all the help we can get, especially the veteran help. All right, so that'll kind of bring us to the end here. Uh, Murph, what, do you, uh, what else you got uh, possibly uh, working on this week? Uh, I got things, Jeffrey. You got uh, things. <laughs> you know, I, I, do, I do still want to look back at the UCF baseball season, uh, which you know, I, I, people may not remember. Back in March, I did a, an article about the superlatives for UCF Batman's basketball season. Mm-hmm. I'd like to do the same thing for UCF baseball. haven't done it yet, but um, – even though they only played 18 games, there was a lot to look back upon and 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 and, and sort of revel in. So I'd like to do that, and I probably should at some point roll out a Ben Lively update. Again, Ben Lively is pitching, I think, on Friday, which would be uh, you know fr- early Friday morning for us. Uh, but hopefully, he wins that start and gets on the board because then I could have something good to write about Ben Lively. It's been a it's been a rough, uh, sort of unlucky, and then also painful three starts for Ben Lively in the KBO. But I'm still watching. It's fun. All right. Drew, you got any ideas that you want to throw around there? What you got? Oh, boy. Um, that, that's a tough one because uh, right now it's more of uh, just keep an eye on what's going on. You know, we got, you know, June 1st right around the corner. 
Are they coming back? Are they not? Right. We got 10 days, 11 days to figure it out. And well, I think, I think we'll know. I think there will be, certainly will be a guideline by UCF before then. We'll also know about the sort of return dates possible for the other sports, the non-basketball, non-football sports. That's coming within the next week as well. Um, and, and so we'll see. But I, I do think that we'll know what UCF, their sort of their sort of guidelines before June 1st. Yeah. And then after that, I mean, it's just it's, it's kind of this uncomfortable two weeks of waiting. And seeing yeah. if the and seeing if the measures we put in place from the middle of March through to the middle of May worked, or you know, is there is there a resurgence of the virus? You know, when, when the economy opens back up and people are interacting with each other on a face to face basis. I don't know. It's it's yeah. uh, I, I I really do hate using the words unprecedented um, because I think it's. You know, it's so overused, but I mean, I mean, for us, it really is unprecedented. We've never been in this kind of a situation before, and there's a lot of people having to make some really tough decisions, and um, I'm just glad that we get to talk about sports <laughs> for a little bit <laughs> to try and entertain you guys. All right, so, uh, Andrew, what's your Twitter handle so people can yell at you? You can yell at me all that you want at StatBoyDrew on Twitter. Uh, I enjoy it. I revel in it. Thank you. So do I. Jeff underscore Sharon. Of course, Brian, you are at? I'm at folks underscore Murphy. You can yell at me, too. I don't revel in it. I usually mute people, uh, but that's fine. <laughs> Boo! Great. Yeah. Brian, Brian's the professional between us and doing this. Uh, uh, <laughs> professional, not in my vocabulary. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for joining me here. And thank you to you to, for uh, listening. Uh, if you have uh, anything that you want to hit us up with, blackandgoldbanner at gmail.com is our email address. I don't promote that enough. I probably should. Send us some questions. I'd love to send, uh, I'd love to uh, read some on-air questions for you uh, and have us answer them on our next show. I wish we did that a little bit more, but you know, turns out we talk a lot about the news that's happening. You can also follow us on Twitter as a collective at UCF underscore banneret. Don't forget facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. And of course, blackandgoldbanneret.com, your home for UCF sports on the SB Nation network for andrew glukov and brian murphy i'm jeff sharon saying thank you so much continue to stay stay safe out there this has been the black and gold banneret podcast <laughs>